Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Guringai and Daruk people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of Te Awa Kairangi Kitai, where I'm recording today. Ha ha ha! Wednesday! Wednesday recording! What is it? 2020 again? What? What? <laughs> I know. Thank you for accommodating me. I appreciate you and everything you do. I love you and I am happy to accommodate you. I am I'm going to be interrupted because our Nintendo Switch has a one hour time limit. And so in about mm-hmm. 25 minutes, that limit is going to expire. And my littlest is going to crash in here going, Mom, Mom, I need a pin. And then he's going to try and steal it from me before the pin is fully entered to see it because he's been trying to see it. So mm-hmm. just a warning. We might get interrupted. I love that. <laughs> I love that you've got it all script. It's like ma- the screen time saga of any modern parent and like honestly Mm. i should care more than i do but whatever (laughs) whatever gets you through the day i say i mean he taught himself how to write all of his letters and numbers through an app so i can't really complain about technology eating his brain because it's feeding (laughs) it too so there you go the catch 22 that's it uh so what's mark joy for you this week well, I actually had a lovely donut in the park the, today, this morning. Um, mm-hmm. My homie w- walked down from her office to my office and she messaged me on the way being like, where should I meet you? And I'm like, I'm standing outside my office because I don't want to be inside it. So then we went and got <laughs> some donuts and sat in the park and had a coffee because like we don't see enough of each other, lolzies, but we both just wanted a break. So that was lovely. And the sun was out and it was like a crisp, clear, cool day. You know, those kind of winter days that you don't actually mind being cold because it's just so refreshing. Yeah. So it was just lovely. We just did that for like 40 minutes and then went back to work. So, yeah. Spark joy. I love that. That sounds great. Your homie sounds amazing. I'm just, every time you mention her, I'm just filled with this gratitude that you guys have this great friendship because it can always go one of two ways right and like I really worried I was like oh no what if it's terrible what if after two months they're like oh you again but it seems to have been just like really beautiful and I just love hearing about her just love that we've got a good rhythm we found a good rhythm and it's true like I mean we were friends but we weren't like close friends it could have gone anyway Mm. right but it's worked out quite well I think we're complimentary which is good yay and as she always says to me she's like you care about a lot of stuff that I just don't care about so I just let you have it I'm like cool (laughs) whatever (laughs) that's great yeah Anyway, uh, what's Spark Joy for you this week? Oh, well, yesterday we had our teacher meeting with my daughter's year six teacher. And apparently my kid is doing super well this year. She's doing well in her maths, which um, I have never been worried about because, like, I think she's fine. But a lot of other family members who are very maths minded have been very worried about it. So it was a relief to hear that she was, like, top of the pile. I'm like, see, see, we didn't need to stress. Um... No, but like just overall she's doing really well and her teacher this year is just great and you know we got some feedback about how she's really found her own little friend group and how they all mesh well and they're all really happy working together and it was just a really nice like it was sort of like speed dating you know parent teacher meetings are only 15 minutes long but I think it was like we would have a second date you know that's the vibe we get so Aww, I, <laughs> I love that I really like her teacher and she really likes us and she really likes our kids so that was like yay it was great and we actually got her email address which feels like the biggest coup because like getting a teacher's mm email address these days it's not easy like the schools guard it so you can't harass the teachers which i understand but mm-hmm. she was like oh yeah mm-hmm. i'll just send it through and i was like yes i have achieved okay parentness because you know you wouldn't <laughs> get it if you weren't okay 
yeah. Oh, yeah. That was my, that's my joy for the week. Awesome. That sounds lovely. It was. Uh, so this week we're reading chapters 28 through 32 through the theme of hospitality, mm. which is one of my favorite concepts, actually. So do you have a theme for us in the story of hospitality? Or a story for us in the theme of hospitality, even? <laughs> I do, but it's not my story, but it's just a story that I always think about when I think about hospitality. So in Scotland, in the Highlands, there is a valley called Glencoe. It's also the name of a village. Um, it's like on Loch Leven, I think, up in the, the Scottish Highlands. Mm. And it's also the site of the Glencoe Massacre of 1692 and that's what I want to talk about today. So this is one of the most infamous crimes in Scottish history. It took place in 13 February 19, uh, 1692 so it's like winter, it's freezing and the, an attempt was made by the British, the English, to wipe out the McDonald's of Glencoe. Mm. So the McDonald's had been rebels but they had taken an oath of allegiance to King William and so they felt safe when they got these 120 soldiers at their whatever you call them, I've forgotten fort whatever yeah um and they treated them with the usual highland courtesy the usual highland hospitality right and the leader of this troop was captain robert campbell and they had been billeted with mcdonald's for about two weeks when they got an order on february 2 and the quote is to cut off the miscreants root and branch <gasps> so he was told that he should put all to the sword under 70 in a 5 a.m surprise attack so when the hosts were sleeping. So Campbell carried out this order and the McDonald chief was among the 38 men killed and some of the other officers billeted elsewhere in the Glen all broke their swords rather than carry out the orders and they allowed many McDonalds to escape into the, the nearby mountains. But of course it's the dead of winter and the Campbell burnt all their homes. So 40 women and children later died of exposure in the snow. Oh so under Scottish law, there was a ca special category of murder which was known as murder under trust. And so although the massacre was ordered by the king, Scottish law did not accept this as an excuse for murder and the clan Campbell was blamed for this crime. And if you go to Glencoe, there's a sign still up there on the inn that says no hawkers or Campbells. So this is a thing that carried a lot of weight in the Highlands yeah. because there's this one clan turning against the other. And it actually, if rumour is to be believed, was the inspiration for the Red Wedding in Game of Thrones. So in Game of Thrones, there's this big thing made about the law of hospitality, mm. especially in the North. And it's this idea that when invoked, neither guest nor the host can harm the other mm. for the length of the guest's stay. It's like if you've broken bread with someone, then you're safe, right? So the big thing with the Red Wedding is that they came there under the pretense that they were going to be fed, there was going to be a wedding, and then all the Starks get murdered basically because the Lannisters had sent their regards. Um, anyway, spoilers if you haven't got made it that far into Game of Thrones. Uh, now the idea is like if you broke that sacred covenant, then you invoke the wrath of the gods, both old and new. So even like criminals would abide by this law because it's such a terrible thing to break the law of hospitality. Yeah. So I always think about this, like Glencoe is beautiful, but it does have a bit of a somber air, I think, because once you hear the story, it's hard not to think of these people living in their li like houses and they're like living their lives and then they're inviting, extending friendship and extending hospitality to these people and to be betrayed like this when you have allowed someone into your safe zone is just yeah. a horrible, horrible thing. Anyway, hospitality. Oh my gosh. I'm going to look more up about that because that sounds fascinating and also awful and i love that there's still like no hawkers and no campbells like that is the way to carry a grudge yeah keep it going centuries later oh so much of scottish history is like that too it's like here we were minding our own business and then we were all murdered by the british thanks like just terrible yeah cool come into <laughs> our lands and you do these horrible things to us exactly i believe is it my correct in believing that the mcdonald clan was the ones who were close to the border and therefore always did like the cattle raids so they were especially 
oh, kind of like been. in the yeah. sights of the king. I feel like I learned that somewhere, but I don't know for sure. Don't quote me on that, but man, yeah. super rude, king. Yeah, right. Well, do you want to do some chapter summaries for us and then we can crack on? Yes. All right. Well, talking about portents of things, mm. uh, it's raining blood and there's a comet and they've rescued an ancient madwoman who just happens to be Gwen Clean, the illegitimate daughter of Owen Glendower, but it's probably fine. Jessie Ditley asks them to take her elsewhere, so they trundle her back to 300 Foxway, where Persephone has been waiting for her. Ronan and Adam are dispatched to get supplies for the new resident of 300 Foxway and get into some shopping trolley mischief. They also <laughs> spot Piper Greenmantle in the process of buying lots of equipment of her own. Interesting. At 300 Foxway, <laughs> Mallory tells Boo a little about Gansey before. Supplies delivered, Ronan and Adam go to a church to dream up terrible evidence in order to implicate Colin Greenmantle in a series of disgusting crimes that never happened. It's pretty awful for both of them. Adam's father turns up at his apartment and tries to intimidate him, then hurt him, but Capeswater intervenes and literally puts a thorn in Adam's father's mm. hand. Good work. So we barely touched on Gwen Clean last week. Which was kind of wild to me because she's like the whole point of this section. Mm. They're trying to figure out where to put her. Like they, they don't know whose hospitality they have to invoke. And Gansey's sort of going like, I mean, we could take her to Monmouth, but wouldn't she fit in better here? And Calla's not having a bar of it. She's like, what? You, you think that you, you can't put her crazy on you, so you have to give it to us? I don't think so. Whereas Persephone's mm. the other hand of it. And she's like, oh, I've been making this sweater for her because I've been expecting her. Yeah. So it's really interesting the way that one person is like ready and willing to claim her and everyone else is like, uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. And I think that was the clearest sign of hospitality is the Gwenlian situation because one, as Gansey says on page 225, we've been nothing but kind to you. And like they're making space for her. And then Kala is like, absolutely not and i think it's like the limits of hospitality which i'll actually talk about in my in-depth marginalia so i'm excited for that but i also the thing that really cracks me up is that ronan's like let's just leave her and gansy's like oh we could never and then Kala's like why didn't you just leave her and ronan's like haha see (laughs) because they're so similar i have the same like nope not my problem but they still go shopping for her as well and like you know, even though Kala is grumpy about it, they do still make room for her because I guess, I feel like hospitality is so ingrained in us. And I think we yeah. see this with Adam, the fact that he still invites it, like he invites his father in. He yeah. opens the door and he lets his father in because that is just what you do. Yeah, he's he's told to be hospitable, so he is, which is wild to me. Like he could have just closed the door. He didn't actually have to do anything. But it's a weird thing to do. I think when someone's standing on your doorstep and they were like, are you going to let me in? Nine times out of ten, you're like, oh, yeah, I guess so. Even when you don't want to, you're like, oh, I guess I have to invite you in. And then I'm like, I guess I have to offer you a glass of water. I guess I have to do this or that or the other thing because that's what you do, right? But you never have to. I'm just going to say right now, like, I am a very generous person and I love having people over and I love looking after people and I love being hospitable. But you don't have to say yes if you don't want to. Everybody needs to know that it's okay to say no, not right now. Thanks, though. Which is fair, but I don't think people stop and think about it. I think it's ingrained in us just to do Mm. the thing. I don't think people stop and think. You're just like, oh, I guess come in. And then you're like, why did I do that? I don't want you in here. Absolutely. Which is why we have a doormat that says go away. (laughs) It's so good. I have a little sign by my door. It came with my house that says no salespeople. Um, And people still look at the sign because I have one of those doorbell cameras they look at the sign and then they like ring the bell anyway and I'm like are you kidding me you just saw I know you've got a clipboard you are not my friend yeah. <laughs> go away <laughs> but because I have the doorbell camera I can just I don't want to I don't want to mm. come to the door I don't have to be yeah. hospitable to everyone and that's okay um 
the fact that she was tied up like that, the, yeah, there's definitely a lack of hospitality in the way that she was not welcomed anywhere, Gwen Clan, but also in the way that she was left as a shill grave. This is to basically welcome Robbers to her tomb that isn't even a tomb. It's not even respectful for her. It's not even her place. She's been out of place for all of this time and still doesn't have a place yet. It just feels mm. very, to me, just feels really hard for her. I feel yeah. a lot of anger that she hasn't been given this respect and human consideration. And in such an inhospitable place that they left her as well. You're like, in yeah. this cave, right? Yeah. I think it's interesting that they take her inside of Jesse Ditley's house and he's sort of going through all of the like did you kill my wife's cat and she's like that was an accident and you know are you the one who makes my my walls weep and he's like well, only only three five seven times and he says take her out of my house Jesse said please that's on page 226 and like so he's not even being really unkind but he's just like I can't offer you hospitality you have done so many things yeah you know like he's not unkind about it, but he's very firm. Like, his limit is there. He is not offering hospitality to this particular curse. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> and he's been so hospitable up until this point, right? Like, he's had the Gansey in his house. He's offered Mallory tea. Like, he's done all these things. Mallory's just been hanging out with him while they've gone spelunking, mm. you know? Yeah. Mallory and the dog. Yeah. I love how Mallory is so accepting of hospitality. And he's quite kind about it. Like, when he says to Blue, you know, this is a house is lovely. It has so many walls. Yeah, because he's just that. like so polite um but then i thought it was really interesting that he couldn't share his own house with gansy when he's talking about younger gansy and how he used to have mm. these nightmares these screaming nightmares and he couldn't have them in the house and i'm like yeah because there's limits to hospitality there's limits yeah. to like what you can allow to your own comfort it's like when my friend had her brother-in-law and his wife stay way over their welcome like for three months not contributing to the rent not contributing to the household not cleaning up after themselves not cooking and it gets to a point where you're like, to her husband, you know, I get that he's your brother, but also he has to go. Yeah. 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 Like, I think if you're, if you become part of a household, it's no longer hospitality. It's part of contributing, right? Mm. Like, you have to contribute something. And that, but like, I get sometimes that when you're being cared for, if you're sick or something and you move in to be looked after, that's different. But if you're just staying there for several months because you can't find anywhere else to live, you have to at least clean I don't even, like, I love to go and impose upon my friends' hospitality. My favorite thing is to just, like, go to where my friends are staying and stay with them. But my, the deal is always that I clean while I'm there because I don't mind cleaning for other people. And, I like, I love cleaning up for people who don't want to. It's, like, great because they are getting a free house cleaner and I don't feel like I'm taking advantage of them. <laughs> Except for you because your house is already so clean so I just have to buy all the dinners. But that's fine, too. Um, but yeah, I feel like when you're, when you're at a place for a long time, you can't impose them on people's hospitality. Like you have to contribute. And I think that that's what will eventually happen with Glenn Clean at 300 blocks away. But until then, Cal is just like, nope, nope, get it out, get it out, get it out, get it out. Which is, you know, understandable as well, because she's very disruptive. Mm. <laughs> I mean, she caused it to rain blood from the sky. I, this is not somebody I think I'd want living in my house. Yeah. And she's just loud. Just a lot of carrying on and She's, laughing hysterically. Yeah. She has been locked up for 600 years with no company. Yeah, I mean, I totally get how she got there. I'm not <laughs> judging her for that. I would be in the same boat, I think, if I was just awake for 600 years. But, mm. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about something that I noticed in this section, reading it through the theme of hospitality, is when the shop workers are helping Piper, right? So she's yeah. shopping and everyone is, like, falling over themselves to help her because she's very Beautiful. attractive. yeah. 
And, you know, the observation is on page 234. They seemed very eager to help. And it made me think of the evolution of hospitality. Because when you look at hospitality as a word, Mm. it really started trending down towards, like, the 1950s. Like, it was getting used less and less. And then it just, like, peaked up again. And Mm. now it's quite high again Mm. and trend. Because we've got the hospitality industry now, I think. Like, you know, I yeah. my ex used to work hospo. I know a lot of people who work hospo. Hospitality is a big industry in New Zealand in particular. You know, we've got a lot of cafes, bars, restaurants. Almost all of our foreign, like, backpackers who come here work in hospo. That's just what happens, mm. right? So the hospitality as an industry is quite interesting when you've got people who are paid to be, like, helpful yeah. and happy to see you and smiling and asking you how your day was, even though neither of you care. Like, I know you disagree having worked hospo. You actually cared. But I think you are the exception, not the rule. I love working hospitality. I just cannot do it now because I need to be able to leave my job to pick up my kids if they're not well. And it doesn't pay enough. I feel like I'm worth more now. Um, But I like having a job where I get to move around and talk to people and, like, dig into relationships in little bits over time and that's what hospitality especially at a cafe or a bar where you're working you get your regulars clientele that's fantastic Mm. yeah i loved i love my regulars i still think about some of the regulars i had from my coffee job when i was 18 i still think about them and hope that they're good and so i loved hospitality and i understand why it can be hard but yeah I, i do think it's an interesting switch and having as you know i'm going through my massive agatha christie reading project um and it's just the shift in when she starts writing and like houses with servants were still common. And then by the time she's finishing up, like they're really not anymore. And you're seeing way more service out of the home. And I think that there's a really mm. interesting shift there that takes place right around when you're saying that hospitality became a job because people weren't working in homes anymore. Mm. They were working that kind of job in hotels or cafes. So it's a really interesting shift there societally i don't know what it would look like in the u.s but um yeah I, and it comes back to host right like that's the origin mm. like hosting and it's uh, sort of the same root word as hospital but not quite but yeah it's, it's all about whether or not you're a good host and there's kind of this treatise between guest and host like as a guest you are respectful um but the host has the obligation to provide to serve which is really mm. interesting yeah it is interesting but also like if you think about it like that like the host has the obligation to serve, right? Mm. Then we enter the space, like in New Zealand, for example, it's very uncommon to have full table service. You usually order at the counter or even if they take your order at the table, you always pay at the counter. So it's a, I think especially Americans who come here find that very weird when they yeah. first get here because they're like, what do you mean I have to go? And sometimes you just leave the restaurant. You're like, ah, oh, I haven't paid and you have to go back and pay. Because <laughs> if you're used to ordering at the till, then you yeah. go and sit down and they bring your food to you. You don't think that, oh, I have to pay before I leave. But yeah, it becomes this whole, in like a self-service restaurant. Like in the idea, you go to McDonald's now, you use the self-service to order. You pick it up yourself. So really? where is the, where's the service? Where's the service happening? Do you really? Other than the making. Yeah. You don't have to. They're still like counters, but I almost have... always people will just self-service. I had no idea. I haven't been to a McDonald's in a long time. Oh, well, look, I sent my kids with my debit card to go order their own food when we went, when we were in Canberra. But it's just like, you guys can do it. You can just tap. My daughter knows how the tap works. I love ordering at the till and then you get to sit because then you don't have to work. Like once your food comes, you're fine. You can do whatever. I love that freedom. Yeah. And I still get the opportunity to like ask the waitress how their day is going if they ask me, right? It's a good balance. Yeah. 
I'm also a fan of ordering at the toll because that means that I can order when I'm ready. I don't mm. have to wait because there's nothing that drives me more up the wall as like when you're ready to order and then the other people at your table aren't ready. So you send the waiter away like a thousand times. And then when you are eventually ready, the waiter is just like moved on with their life. Fair enough. And then you're like, oh, I'm trying to make eye contact with you and it's so awkward. Or when you want someone, you have to flag them down. What I really disliked when I was in Sydney was the fact that you had to cure order from the table and then you couldn't find another person to like bring you a napkin or something. I'm like, what is this? This is nonsense. We don't have that here. Oh, I don't mind the QR codes. I think they're fine. But most of, I think most of the places that have QR codes have like the napkins on the table in bundles, which is sort of my jam. Like diners, you know? Diners have everything right there on the table. Your salt's there. Your pepper's there. I want the option to engage with the human, but I don't want it to be compulsory. <laughs> I love that. Jen's Cafe. That's the, yeah. You can talk to a person if you really, really want to. Like they're there if you need them, but also you don't have to talk to them if you don't want to. I like definitely don't want no humans because that's always problematic because the machines never work properly. Mm. Anyway, hospitality evolution yeah. of that's interesting. <laughs> I love that. I ha- like having worked hospitality. I have a soft spot for all, all of us, all of the people in the trenches. I've been there, man. I've been there. It's a thankless job, but I'm mm. very grateful to everyone who does it. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to talk about how Gansey, before he moved to Henrietta, actually had no fixed abode and he sort of relied on the hospitality of a lot of people. So it's not even that he would rely on their hospitality for lodging, but like their hospitality for their time. I think you can kind of ask yeah. like, oh, can we, can you tell me about this ruin that you're working on? Like he would go and talk to these professors and archaeologists and whoever and they would give him that time. And I think that's a form of hospitality, too. Yeah. being Yeah. And he, he talks about how, like, Mallory talks about how, oh, you know, one day he just left. He was just gone. And uh, I thought our research wasn't, research wasn't quite finished yet. But, you know, he was gone and I didn't know where he went for a while. And, and then Gansey's like, look, I'm really sorry. You know, he apologizes for it. And he says, it was very decent of you not to say anything about it to me. It's more than I deserved, but know that I've regretted it a lot too. That's on page 243. And I think about that, like you, you want to do the right thing by your host when you're a guest. And as he's grown up a little bit more, he's realizing that he didn't and he wants to make amends Mm. for that, which is really beautiful. Yeah. Oh, here Here we go. It's exactly 25 minutes in. (laughs) Is it? Oh my gosh, it really is. Are you ready for your pin? Yeah. Do you want to say hi to Gen V? Hi, Gen V. All right, there you go. Have fun. What do you say? Thank you. You're welcome. There we go. We should have unlimited time now. I love the connection we see there as well through that whole little moment about Gansey's link to Henrietta, right? Because, mm. you know, Blue previously had that. She remembers this moment they had where he said it was home like it pained him. And she didn't really realize the gravitas of that situation until now when she realizes that he doesn't really have a home. Previously, he didn't have a home. He didn't put down roots. Mm. He just floated around to the point where his family didn't even know where he was. I get that he's a very responsible young man, but what are his parents doing? They do not win Parent of the Year. They do not. They're not even close to qualifying for the Art Avery Award. They have (laughs) absented themselves from the running. If your kid is like that, geo track him or something just (laughs) chip him like a dog i don't care oh my gosh (sighs) yeah it's madness yeah i I do love gansey's um fantasy adventurer 
previous life though and it is it is entirely a fantasy adventure previous life like he gets to be the gentleman's indiana jones and i love that for him yes he doesn't desecrate any tombs as he made clear in the last section it's like Mm. we don't take anything we respect the grave exactly responsible discovery you know the comet yeah which is another moment of connection that I thought, you know, between Ganza and Glendower, right? Mm. The common, the portents, whatever. Does Gwynclean make that happen or does the comet just happen, do we think? I wonder if it happens because the sleeper has been awoken. The, one of the sleepers has been awoken. Because, mm. yeah, I just think that that's because that tomb has been opened and she's been let go of it, right? So, like, whatever magic binding her in that stasis or whatever has kind of been let go and like they come out and instead of it being gray and humid it's like freezing cold and windy and raining blood as well like so the the sky is blue no clouds but it's still raining blood and there's this comet and it's like she's a she's like a shockwave she's created a shockwave by being freed from her tomb i think yeah so i think it's the magic sort of like sonic booming outward that would be my mm-hmm. guess mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but i do like that she immediately says Oh, you're very much like my father. That's too bad. And this is before we know who she is. We before we know that she's one of Owen Glendower's illegitimate children. Yeah, like she recognizes that kingliness, I guess. She bows to him in a very mocking way. Yeah. Yeah, and she calls Ronan the Raven Prince, and she calls poor Adam a mongrel. <laughs> yeah, and he takes that really to heart. He's really upset about that. He just lets it hit him. Like a yeah, brick. he's immediately cut, like just cut to the bone, hey? Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting because he's like, sorry, he's dwelling on it. And then he talks about, we should have asked her, you know, do we think we can still get the favor? Because I, you know, I need it. And Ronan is like, do you really think you still need it? Because Ronan's like, oh, I thought we've moved past this. Yeah. Like, are we still <laughs> on this, Adam? Yeah. Um. Yeah. There's just a bit. They're, they're just at that really fraught place, Adam and Ronan are, where they're getting closer but they're not able to actually deal with the way that they feel about each other. And that's why they're fighting so much. I just love this. I love this section because I feel like this is a very Ronan and Adam heavy section, right? And I yeah. think it's so lovely that we get this right after we've had the Blue and Gansey car ride. We've mm. got this Ronan and Adam. Because like they often described as a pair now. You'll often hear it's Adam and Ronan lurked in the hall. Adam and Ronan did this. They're yeah. often just together. One and word. I just love that Blue has this realization that she doesn't know everything about Gansey, that there's this whole other side of him that yeah. she just never noticed. Yeah, yeah. At the same time that Adam has that realization about Ronan. Yeah. You know, has so many moments in that section in the church where he just talks about, you know, page 250. Well, no, page 247. Adam was beginning to realize he hadn't known Ronan at all, or rather he had known part of him and assumed it was all of them which is the same as Blue's realization. Yeah. And then page 250, he said, Adam felt the startling inequality of their relationship. Ronan knew Adam, but Adam wasn't sure that Ronan, he knew Ronan after all. And he says so many times that, oh, Ronan has my number, Ronan has my number. And this is Adam Parrish, I am unknowable Adam Parrish, being yeah. like, ah, Ronan really knows me. And I just love it. And I love that they have this like fight in the, the end of the church because I think they just both so... like. Because Ronan is so angry, but it comes right off the back yeah. of Adam being really ashamed of what he's asked Ronan to do. He's like, ugly dreams yeah. dreamt by an ugly boy, right? Ugly plans yeah. dreamt by an ugly boy. And I think they're just both so ashamed of being seen as their base selves. Like, they don't want the other person to be disgusted by them. And they both yeah. think that they've presented this evidence 
as to why the other person should be disgusted. But I love that they just actually just accept each other's worst bits. Like the people they've got beef with is themselves, not each other. Yeah. Yeah. They are they're like this is the mortifying ordeal of being known for both of them, right? Mm-hmm. It's Adam really thinking that he's just awful and Ronan not wanting to do it not because it's awful, but because it's not true. Yeah. And Adam has to convince him to do it not because it's awful, but because it's a lie. And then Ronan's angry because, well, having forcing yourself to have a nightmare sounds terrible. I get why he would be mad. But then he's angry because he told Adam he didn't want him to see this because he knew it would be a bad dream and he knew something bad would come back with him. And Adam kind of insisted on staying. And I feel like that was a bit of a moment where Adam was imposing on Ronan's hospitality in a way. Like, I'll stay. Don't make me leave. I've got to help you with this aspect of it. And Ron was like, fine, it's your funeral, kind of, you know. And then it was bad. And he's like, see, I told you. But I also think that that's because mm. he was vulnerable in that moment. It was really awful. That's, and he, that, he saw Adam yeah. affected by it. That's how I read it. I think what that was, the fact that Adam wanted to stay was not because he was imposing. It's because he wanted to be there for Ron. And he's like, this, gonna, this is going to be hard. And I'm going to be here for him. Yeah. And I think this is the start of him doing this for Ronan. And then mm. Ronan brings back this body. And he sees the way that Adam's affected and the, that Adam thinks... Ronan is dying. Like he has this really horrible, horrified, ex- like reaction because he thinks his friend yeah. is dying. Yeah. And then Ronan is like so vulnerable in that moment, like showing that side to Adam, and that's what makes him mad. Like both of them just don't want to show that vulnerability. <laughs> yeah, and then Adam really, really recognizes it. that. Like he's like he's just yelling because he likes yelling. <laughs> he needs someone yeah, yeah. to yell at, right? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yeah, but sometimes mm. showing up for people is imposing on them when they don't want to be vulnerable with you and you kind of make them be vulnerable with you. Sometimes that can be a bit of an imposition. I guess I think about the opposite of hospitality as imposing. Because, like, hospitality is offered. I, I'm offering as host to serve you. Like, I'm providing, I am serving. Whereas imposition is, like, I am demanding of you and taking from you. And so that's why I think the inverse came to me. Just that Adam is sort of like, no, I'm going to be here and you can't make me move. Um, and Ronan wasn't ready for that. And frankly, it was pretty horrible for Adam. And then to have his dad turn up right afterward and impose his mm. own demands of, for hospitality on Adam. Like, what? That is a heavy load for a kid. But then Cape's Water yeah. extends its hospitality to Adam and comes to the rescue, basically, being like, don't yeah. worry about it. Don't worry about it, boo. We got you. Yeah, it's it's interesting the way he talks about how um, he retreats, the best part of him, the better part of him retreats to Caveswater. And it's like, it could be read as the better part as in the best part of Adam, or the better part is like the larger part, right? Mm. It's an interesting choice, word choice there, and I think it lends itself to interpretation. I thought that was really beautiful, the way that he was just like, well, I'm going to dissociate, might as well go to the magical forest. Yeah. It's just so horrible because he like it's this moment of vulnerability. He's just come off this very intense moment with Ronan, where he's mm. realized a lot of things about himself, I think, and about Ronan. Like yeah. he hasn't admitted it to himself yet, but you know, there's possible there are two gods in this church. Like the way he talks about Ronan, the way that he's like, yeah. Adam was beginning to realize that what what is he saying? Like while he was looking at Ronan, Ronan was looking at him. Like all these really kind of heavy moments, and so it's quite fraught. They have this very emotional heightened emotional reaction like seeing him dead whatever and then he goes to his little flat and then he opens the door and he's not expecting it at all and it's just his dad yeah. and like he has become 
like he's just forgotten that that's a possibility that this horrible thing could happen to him because he's been safe right and that is yeah. the horror of this it's like he knows that this horrible thing can happen to him and he's no longer it's like a callus he's no longer got the callus mm. to protect him yeah for sure he's thinner skinned because he wasn't in the trauma as it was actually happening he'd begun to heal from it and I will say that it's very hard when you go back to a place where you've been treated in a way that hurts. Not not necessarily abused, but like when you go somewhere and you're with people who maybe tell jokes that just kind of rub you the wrong way. Like if you're used to it, it's fine. But then you take a break, you go back and you're like, oh, why did I ever think this would be okay? When you get the distance and you're treated well and you're treated with care and consideration... It's really hard to let yourself be hurt again. And I I completely understand why he just, he just, as soon as he saw his dad, he just stopped belonging to his body. Like he was just out of his body already. Because the prospect of being hurt was so terrifying, so awful. Mm. Justice for Adam. Ugh, makes me feel sad. Um, connections. I love that moment where Blue talks about the fact that she she's starting to realize that she was always part of this. Like this was always part of the story. Yes. And there's that yeah. beautiful line on page 230. They were not creating a mess. They were just slowly illuminating the shape of it. And I love that as like a point of connection mm. when you start to see the bigger picture. Yeah. And I love that her connection is that, you know, her father was present at the the burial mm. of Gwen Clean, right? Like Gwen Clean's like, oh, you should cut me free. It's very fitting. Your father was the one who bound my hands. And she's like, what? That would kind of do my head in, to be honest. Um, <laughs> and then Mallory's like, one must consist consider the tapestry. And she's like, must we? <laughs> I love his one must. She's like, it's a pity one can't write a journal, publish this in a journal. But then I guess one could if one wanted to destroy one's career. Like, he's so funny. His little royal we. <laughs> <laughs> I love the connection for him as well. Like, this connection to auras and stuff and how that hits, how he's connecting to people. But also yeah. then... How he describes his connection to Gansey, you know, as he says, like, he doesn't take from me, which is such a beautiful way of putting it. It's something that I think about a lot as well, like the people who don't take from you emotionally. Yeah. Yep. Who don't require mm. a lot of your energy. I think, like, sometimes I think that's why my husband and I get along so well is because we're both, like, neutral energy charge for each other. Like, he doesn't require a lot from me and I don't require a lot from him, I don't think. Um, probably I do now more now now that we have kids I do a little bit more and they certainly do because they need us but just mm. when we're like having our downtime together it's just just as the same as if I'm on my own getting the mm. same level of like contented quietude I think that's really important to find the person that you can sort of just be easy around like not amped up by not depleted by but just neutral I think that contributes to hospitality as well because I mm. certainly think w I have some friends who do take more from me than others mm. like where you're pouring out rather than getting in and then I have friends who are just like who don't take from me and they're the ones that I can have round and we can just watch TV for six hours and they can yeah. go home and it's just like a chill day and everyone leaves happy and mm. you're more hospitable to people if you don't run out of charge <laughs> yeah exactly and yeah it's important to protect your energy and Sometimes that's knowing which of the people in your life is going to take more and budgeting for that, I think. Mm. It's something that the gangsy, they all interact with each other in different ways. I think everybody takes from everybody a little bit, but everybody also gives back a little bit, which is interesting. It's an interesting dynamic to see how they all work 
together within the group. Mm. Um, I want to talk about a little parallel I saw, the connection between Adam and his father. So on page 258, Adam checked to make sure his hands were no longer bloody, and then he opened the door. It was his father. And then as his dad was about to leave, on page 261, one hand was poised in the air as if he had meant to touch Adam or had already and was withdrawing. In the meat of his palm, a small thorn protruded. A thread of blood trembled from the wound bright as a miracle. So he's worried about his hands being bloody. He answers the door. It's his dad. And then his dad's hand is actually bloody before he leaves, which is just really interesting to me. Hmm. Do we think that maybe Capes would have, like internalize that because Adam was already thinking about it being like bloody hand bloody hand okay cool stabby stabby yeah and also calls back to the tapestry with blue's red hands right yeah and the way that Adam just thinks he has Gansey's blood on his hands already right like he thinks he's going to be responsible for Gansey's death and that's another thing that's so traumatic about the Ronan situation because it's this callback to this thing yeah this fear of of what he has coming true and now he knows that Gansey is going to die so that's coming true even more it's just a bit yeah. scary. I think I have a child coming home. Sorry. <laughs> Didn't expect her home right away. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. Okay. Yeah, we're we? fine. We were on connections. Did you have any other connections? I love the connections that Adam makes to frame Green Mantle. Like, he comes up with this whole thing. And, yeah. you know, Ronan gives him this task. And he's like, oh, I've been busy. I haven't thought about it. But Ronan knows he has because he can't resist a puzzle. And I love that. And I <laughs> yeah. love that he's like, it doesn't matter. We're not going to try and un wind the web because it's too hard i need to be in control of all the pieces mm-hmm. i think that's such a adam thing to say to be like i need the control and yeah. he's right like this is the best way to frame someone like so like this is a horrible plan like you can infer what they're doing but it's solid like you it's can't an fault elegant them for that. solution because yeah. really no one extraneous gets hurt and mm. they still achieve their goal. Like this is this is Adam's strength is sorting out is finding the solution to the problem, right? It's not the way that Ronan would do it because Ronan needs everything to be like above board and honest. But Adam is like, well, the outcome is what's important, and this is the best yeah. way to get to that. And outcome. this is still going to get us the justice. It's like not necessarily for your father's death, but it's still going to get us what we need, right? Yeah. So yeah, Adam's able to recognize that he can't get Niall Lynch back, so they just have to protect what's left you know Mm. Mm. which is fantastic Uh, like four for you adam for figuring that out like he's got an incredible brain yeah i think everybody is capable of evil and that's definitely a a thing that we like to ignore (laughs) but sometimes you have to know what you're capable of in order to do the best and most right thing i guess is how i fall on that yeah, I think we're all capable of more than maybe we think we are. Most people don't want to mm. think that they're capable of doing the horrible thing. But I think when push comes to shove, a lot of people will do really horrible things. And the thing is not knowing that you're capable of it. It's knowing that you won't do it. Yeah. Um, I do love how they both badly want to protect Gansey. They don't want him connected with any of this. Mm. Um, and just the line, because it was the worst kind of filth, kings were not meant to drag their hymns in this. It's so beautiful. It's like they're really viewing Gansey as this like precious little cinnamon roll who would never do anything untoward yeah meanwhile he's (laughs) he's totally committing he's blackmailing (laughs) a little bit a little bit of bribery and corruption but that's just that's just white collar crime that's fine (laughs) that's what rich people do yeah it's like you know he's just getting Rodan into Harvard 
Like all those celebrities did with their kids who were probably yeah, not exactly. actually smart enough to get in. Maybe a little bit of tax evasion, you know? <laughs> Whatever. Just, you know, low-key. Mm. I think that was all I had. I think we covered it all. This is such a good section. Such a good section. I do have some tangential. How about mm-hmm. you? Yeah, a couple. Um, I loved the part on page 220 after, you know, they've sort of like, oh my gosh, they're in this cave. There's a tomb. There's a person. On page 220, it wasn't that she wanted Gansey to be the boss of her, but she was relieved that he was going to at least be the boss of this moment while she convinced her pulse to slow. Like, I am 100% there with you, Blue. Sometimes you just need the mom friend to take charge. And Gansey is being the mom friend. He's like, okay, so what we're going to do is this. And then he gets it done. I kind of love it. And I love, yeah, and I love that she has that observation right after she's going, oh, well, he was freaking out before, but now he's really calm because this is actually what he wanted. He wanted a clue and then another clue and then another clue. This is just another clue, right? So he's like, great. Yeah. This is the territory I want to be in. This is what I understand. I also love yes. that. Well, I thought it was interesting on page 221 when Gansey asks for a knife. Blue says, I have one. And she said, feeling smug and useful. And useful really stood out to me because in the first book, she kept going on and on and on about how she didn't want to be useful. She yeah. didn't just want to be useful. And here she's feeling smug about the fact that she's useful. Yeah, useful. Uh, needed was a synonym for useful. Yeah, that's that's her beef in the first book. Yeah. It's a good callback. I also mm. love that she was smug about it because I also being like, yes, I have the tool for the job. That's totally me. <laughs> I love that Blue is still trying to save Jessie Ditley. Um, so on page 226, mm. she's talking about, we have her now. She was the curse. You don't have to go back into the cave and die now. And she's like, call your wife, call your, you know, have them come back. It's okay. We've got her. And I reckon this is 100% her going Maybe if Jesse Ditley doesn't die, then Gansey won't either. Yeah, because she knows his name's on the list. And if your name's yeah. on the list, you die. So yeah. She's just like, yeah. you don't have to do it. You don't have to go in the cave and die now. It's okay. So yeah, I have some feelings about that. I really love the phrase, like what Glenn- Gwen Clillian says on page 228. My name is that of all women, the woman replied. Sorrow. Beautiful. Love it. And I just love that observation that Adam has in the church as well, where he says it was dense with a humming sort of history that made him feel lightheaded, page 246. Mm. Just one of my all-time favorite feelings when I go to really old places is that feeling where you're like, you f- yeah. it feels alive, you can feel the history. Yeah. Mm. I-, I love old churches for that reason. Um, new churches feel very strange. But old churches, I was married in an old church and I picked that particular church because it was an old church and it felt like an old church. Like it was dark and had stained glass windows and like brick everywhere and sandstone and this, you know, it was discolored from age. Like that was my jam and I loved it. One of my favorite memories is when we were in Cardiff going to the Clendeff Cathedral, which is just beautiful. Um, love an old church. And I also loved Adams resonating with it, but also being aware that he was outside of it. And he thought, this is a rituals I'll never do and a place I'll never belong. But Ronan does belong here. I thought that was really interesting, too. Yeah, and he's been shaped by it just as much as it... Like, I just love that. I love Mm. that kind of equating Ronan with the religion as well. I thought that was beautiful. Also, just like... I might have mentioned this on this podcast before, but in American Gods, there's a really great section where Wednesday talks about churches and the sacredness of sacred spaces. And it Mm. doesn't matter, like, with what you were saying about new churches. He's like, yeah, you know, there's a church on every street corner. That doesn't mean they're special. It's the ones that are like on the ancient ground yeah. that have history. That's what matters. And we used to build things that matter on places, which is why you get weird little sites of worship popping up in weird places. Like Carhenge. 
That's yes. an example in American Gods. Yeah. Oh, Carhenge. But it's a dead spot and Wayward Son, so there you go. <laughs> also, can I just give a shout out to Keller for the absolutely her- hilarious all caps, don't give me that vacuous prep boy stare. Absolute <laughs> lol. <laughs> and then she yells at him to go buy us pizza with extra cheese, Richie Rich. <laughs> I love that Gansey's too polite to argue and Kala just gets away with it. She's so mean, but I love it. <laughs> it's awesome. It is awesome. Um, I think that's it for me. I think that's all the merch we I've got. I mean, other than all of the other ones I'm not going to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> aware of the True. time. <laughs> um, did you have a in-depth marginalia then? I do. I do. So um, you actually already mentioned the section, but it's after Ronan has brought his dream copy back and it has died and he's snarling at Adam to leave and Adam is trying to make sense of why Ronan's angry. So it's on page 255. This was just Ronan wanting to shout where someone could hear him. Adam felt it whittling away at his temper, not because he believed Ronan was angry at him, but because he was tired of Ronan thinking that this was the only way to show he was upset. Um, I think we already talked about how Ronan was made vulnerable by this and how Adam was really upset by it and Ronan is now angry at Adam and I I think it's because he it's just easier to be angry about something than it is to be like sad or distressed or mm. or vulnerable like it's really easy to be angry about stuff and I think that anger is a really like it's a very I don't know how to put it like it it lures you in like it's very once you get into the groove of being angry you can be angry about a lot of stuff and like mm-hmm I just think it's really important that this hospitality, like the fact that it's happening in a church, a church is a place of sanctuary, a church is a place where you will always, theoretically, you will always be welcome. You can go and you can be cared for. Um, It's really interesting that Ronan is now saying like, no, get out. Like the connection that they have is precious to him in a way. And he's angry that he's hurting and he's angry that Adam's hurting. So the hospitality is like, no, you can't be part of this. Out you go. Mm. Um, so what it reminds me of in other texts or in my life is when I had really terrible depression I probably still have depression but like you know I take the stuff now and it's good so one of the worst parts of having depression was that I was irritable all the time I was a crank I was a crank to my husband I was a crank to my kids I was a crank to myself I hated being cranky and that just made me even crankier And worse, the crankier I was, the quicker I got cranky because it's really easy once you get into that rut of being cranky. Like it's a really familiar groove in your brain and your brain brain goes, ooh, I know this groove. I'll just be grumpy. So I understand exactly why Ronan defaults to that anger here because he's used to being angry about stuff. He, He, like me, has a really strong sense of what's just and what's not just. And so it's really easy to get angry about injustices, but... And he's just doing it for the wrong reasons here. And I know that Adam is so smart to be able to say he just wants to be angry because it's easier than actually feeling the way he's feeling. So I want to say for anyone who is angry going forward, it's okay if you need to take some time to figure out how that is, how to make anger not your default emotion when you're upset. Um, Mm. Sometimes it means you have to take a minute. Sometimes it means that you need to get someone else in your life to tap in. Um, Sometimes it means offloading the entire emotional spectrum of your life to a safe space, like a therapist. Highly recommend that. I think it's really worth the work, though, because as an angry, as a person who was a really angry kid and a really angry teenager and a really furious young adult, like, I much prefer the peace of not being angry all the time. 
I much prefer it this way. Um, it takes a lot for me to get mad, like a lot, a lot for me to get mad. And I'm really glad that that's where I'm at now. But it was a lot of work and I would not wish that tempestuousness on anyone. So mm. yeah, it's worth the work to do if you want to not be angry anymore. Yeah. So do you have an in-depth marginalia? I sure do. So mine is really early on when they have just taken Gwen Clillian to 300 Foxway and Kala is rather unimpressed. So yeah, page 227, it says she barked. Do you remember how I said there were three sleepers and Maura's job was not to wake one of them and your job was to wake one of the others? Remember how I didn't say anything about the other one? I did not mean bring her to my kitchen. Um, <laughs> I think it relates to the theme of hospitality because I think there are limits to our hospitality and sometimes yeah. you don't want to be hospitable and you don't want to allow others in and it's kind of resentful that you feel like you have to because society dictates it for whatever reason, yeah. right? Puts you in this position. And also connection in this section because like she's making the connection to these other points and prophecies that they have had and her and Persephone have already disagreed about this third sleeper as we know from previous conversations and yeah. Kala really doesn't want a bar of it. So I think it's interesting, but this idea of like limits to hospitality really stuck with me. And it made me think what it reminds me of is season one of Black Books, episode four, mm. which is called The Blackout. Yeah. And it's when Bernard has gone to his friend's house for a dinner party and he wakes up the next day and he's being blanked by the friends and he doesn't know <laughs> why. Like he has completely blacked it out. He was completely drunk. He is a miscreant. He behaves badly all of the time. And no, so the 100%. whole episode is him like harassing his friend, trying to figure out why him and his wife no longer want to talk to Bernard. And it's like, he turns up there with the police and he's drunk half the wine that he's brought, which I love as a, like a hospitality thing. Cause he's like, I can't go to empty handed. You know, you can't go to a dinner yeah. party empty handed. I will take something. Yeah. But then he drinks half of it, which kind of defies <laughs> the point. And then, he goes to this dinner party and throughout the night like he's just staying there saying horrible things and the wife is getting more and more irate at him and she's like at one point throws a phone book down in front of him being like call a cab just go get yeah. him out get him out get him out get him out get him out that's yeah, what yeah. she says to her husband <laughs> and then he has this horrible thing where he goes to the bathroom but it transpires that he goes to the bathroom and the kitchen, in the kitchen. and traumatizes the small child and this is why the <laughs> wife and the husband no longer want to talk to him because he's such a hot mess but it just cracks me up because I am always very scared of overstaying my welcome. Mm. I always feel like I'm imposing on people's hospitality. It's something I'm incredibly conscious with, especially when I'm going overseas. Like, for example, I'm going away in a month. I'm staying with some friends. And in my head, I'm going, oh, you can't stay that long because, like, that is too long to ask to stay with someone. You can't do this and you can't do this. And, like, oh, I'll just go for the day. I don't want to stay overnight. I don't want to impose. And I think going forward you just need to trust people when they tell you that it's okay or like you need to trust that people will tell you that it's not okay and I think this is something mm. that I just strive for in my life is that you can just take people at their word mm. I think it's a really hard thing to expect because a lot of people don't want to tell you what they actually think but if they don't then you can't project and assume for them you just have to trust that when people say something's okay that it's okay so just like kind of leaning into that discomfort more and not trying to jump the gun and make decisions for other people is what I want to take going forward. I love that. If someone is shoving a phone book down. Yeah, I don't think there was there's anywhere that you wouldn't be welcome and your friends. I think that we all love you and we would all be happy to have you come and stay. Yeah. Anyway. But I understand the feeling. I do the same. That's why I have a cleaning clause. <laughs> anywhere I go, I clean. Did you have a character you want to spotlight this week? Yeah, so I really want to spotlight Gwenclean because I do not think it would be very fun to be buried in a shoal grave and 
left awake even though you were calling hey I'm awake help me help me and they just walk away and leave you there and then you're stuck torturing a whole family for generations because you're bored like mm. it doesn't sound fun and I would be nuts as well so I have a lot of sympathy and I really completely understand her I would be mad and I would be furious mad as in crazy mad as in angry so I just mm -hmm. have a lot of a lot of love for her and I'm just trying to I mean she's mad thing but I can understand why so yeah Gwen Clean for me uh, how about mm -hmm. you who would you like to spotlight this week I'm spotlighting, spotlighting Ronan because mm -hmm. I think there's a beautiful vulnerability from him in this section watching yourself die is a grim thing and he's done it many many times yeah, by the yikes. sense of it you know this is not the first time but also this vulnerability when he has that moment with Adam where he's like, oh, you know, he still wants the wish. But also then how he tries to reach out to him. We didn't even talk about it, but the shopping cart thing. Yeah, like how this yeah. is this bid for connection and like trying to reach the person that you like. And yeah, the vulnerability in that moment. Yeah, it's really beautiful. I love the shopping cart moment so much. That that bit and afterward where, how does it go? Ronan was laying on the ground with a tube of toothpaste on his chest looking profoundly happy. Yeah. Well, next week, next week we'll be reading chapters. Oh. Do we want to do homework? Oh, yeah. Sorry, I forgot. Yes, do you have go homework? on. I have no homework because I've done nothing this week but work. How about you? <laughs> That's okay. Um, I do have some homework. Uh, my husband and I have been watching Midsummer Murders and I'm really enjoying it. And I, the episodes are like two hours long, so you can really like get cozy and wrap up in a blanket. And it's kind of perfect for autumn. And I'm never moving to the UK because apparently... You just get killed there. <laughs> but I really like like the, the DCA Barnaby's family at home stuff. That's quite cute. So highly recommend Midsummer Murders. <laughs> nice. And I'm sorry you've been working so much. That is a bummer. Ah, that's all right. It happens sometimes. Anywho. Well, next week we'll be reading chapters 33 to 37 through the theme of violence. What a delight. <laughs> I know. That's going to be a fun one. <laughs> Yeesh. All right. Oh. Well, thank you. Well, thank you so much, Jen. This was delightful. Made my midweek so much better. <laughs> no, it's so good. And yeah, just love seeing your beautiful face. Thank you for putting up with my interrupting children. <laughs> That's okay. We like them. We'll allow it. They're pretty good. <laughs> All right. I'll see you soon. All right. See ya. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com, check out our Instagram, or maybe dash off a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 